Welcome to Ballers with Babies. I'm Mark Willard. Today we know so much about what athletes and sports personalities do, but not so much about who they are, what makes them tick. What's life like the moment the stadiums and TV cameras go dark? Most go home to their families. We want to know what that after hours experience is like. Ballers with Babies explores their upbringing, their home life, how it's affected by their high profile job, and how that high profile job is affected by the home life. On Ballers with Babies, we talk to some of the most interesting names in sports and find out how they're even more interesting than we realize. And don't worry, diehard fan, we'll get to the important sports questions as well. This is your favorite people like you've never heard them before. I hope you enjoy. Let's get him in here. Joe Thomas, Ballers with Babies. You know him as one of the greatest offensive linemen of all time, quite frankly. Star was really born in Cleveland, Joe, but I love that you're from Wisconsin. Already put you at the top of my list, by the way. I've only been there twice, uh, but my experience, you Wisconsin people are so incredibly nice. What, what, are, what are the teachers there doing? Because we need to share this secret. Well, hey, I appreciate that, man. I hope you had a great time in Wisconsin. There is quite a few nice people. And I tell you what, if you ever spend any time in Madison, Wisconsin, especially on a football Saturday, you probably had a pretty good time because I think we know how to have a good time just as well. Um, congrats on the new addition. How many kids do you have, by the way, now? Yeah, so I'm up to uh, four right now. We've been collecting them at an unprecedented uh, rate. We've got uh, five, four, two, and then a newborn who is one month right now. Okay, five, four, two, and a newborn. And what are the uh, what? Give, give me the names and and are these girls boys? What do we got here? Yes, I got three girls and a boy. My girls are Logan, Cameron, Reese, and my son is Jack. Okay, and the newborn is a girl. Is that correct? Yep, yep. The baby is uh, baby Reese. Unbelievable. So. Uh, <laughs> what is what's this almost sounds like it would be more physically taxing than playing football i'm sure it's not but this is this is unbelievable what you got going on in the house right now well it's a marathon instead of a sprint uh as people that have babies know um it's an all-day sucker you know it's 24 7 there's no time where you can take a time out or a half time and just go recollect your thoughts so it's death by a million paper cuts versus football where it's you know, three hours of practice for a game, and then you just kind of lay around and recover the rest of the day. So it's definitely something that my body is trying to get used to. And uh, at this point, I feel more exhausted at the end of a day of parenting than I do at the end of a football day. But I think that could be partly because I trained for a lot of years to be a football player. And when you get a baby, you just kind of have it. And all of a sudden, they send you home from the hospital. And you're like, okay, what now? Yeah, exactly right. And, and and I wonder if at any moment with all of, uh, of these kids running around, you just said you're, you're almost more exhausted now. Uh, are, are there any thoughts about, you know, going back to last year and, and, and the decision that was made? Like you're only in your, your early 30s. Why did you retire and how much of that decision had to do with family? Yeah, for me, it was strictly a medical decision. Um, I had really my last few years in the NFL struggled to stay on the field. I was lucky that I never had any injuries that caused me to miss game time. But uh, for me, life in general was just becoming more difficult with the knee and the back injuries and uh, the arthritis and the bone on bone issues were kind of piling up. And uh, I just knew that it was impossible for me to continue playing with the way my body was. And it was going to be impossible for me to maintain my level of play and so I, I, I saw a precipitous uh, decline in my play that was on the horizon. And actually, before I tore my uh, tricep tendon in my last season, 
I had a lot of concerns in my mind that I wasn't going to be able to make it through that season because my knee was so bad. And we really were shooting all the bullets we had at the knee at that time with uh, injections and painkillers and drains and everything you could imagine. And uh, it was just barely getting me through a, a Sunday. And that was already at the beginning of the season. So I'm not sure that I would call the elbow injury a blessing in disguise, but uh, it definitely saved me from having to sit out because of uh, a bad knee. How has the physical toll of all of that through the years affected fatherhood and chasing little kids around? Well, it was really difficult while I was playing because um, I couldn't really stand. <laughs> so standing is kind of an important part of being a dad. Uh, and I couldn't stand on my knee at all during the season and really to the point where I couldn't even watch practice when I wasn't playing because my knee was in so much pain and so much swelling. So that really didn't uh, make me a very good father. I mean, I could still be the jungle gym and just kind of lay on the floor and let the kids jump around on me, which they still like to do a little bit. But now that I've retired and I've been able to lose some weight, that's really made my knee feel a lot better. And um, just being away from football and that, that wear and tear that the game puts on you is making me feel a lot better from a physical standpoint. And it does allow me to do a lot more things. I get to ride bikes with the kids, get to go to the uh, swing set with them and push them on the swings and just run around the house a little bit more. And, and I really enjoy doing those things. And I'm, I'm glad that I am not playing now so that I am able to enjoy those things with the kids. How is the weight loss going and what's the goal? It's good. I'm pretty much at my goal. I'm about 250 right now. Um, I guess everybody could lose a little bit more, but I, I feel really good where I'm at, and I'm not really trying actively to lose any more than I already have. I mean, it's always interesting to me. It seems as if the, the offensive linemen, when you guys retire, you guys get smaller, the running backs get bigger, and everybody just ends up 250 pounds. <laughs> yeah, as a lineman, you definitely go one way or the other. Most of the guys that I know that have uh, retired, they don't stay the same weight, especially those linemen. They usually are either uh, gaining a ton of weight and becoming 400 pounds, or they become 200 pounds. If you've seen Jordan Gross or Alan Fanica lately, those guys are like marathon runners. Right. And they're completely <laughs> unrecognizable. But I think it kind of goes back to are you a guy that had to gain weight to be at the position, or did you have to lose weight? Because it seemed like everybody that I played with on the offensive line was either a guy that had to lose weight to make weight every week, or you were trying to gain weight to get up to that 300, 305, whatever it was you needed to be at. And when you're done playing, you kind of revert to what you used to be. Well, and I, I would think that when you're playing, there's very little reason as a lineman to say no to any food. I wonder how that has, that has changed. Like what's mealtime like at the house now, as opposed to the way it used to be? Well, it's a lot different now. Back when I was playing, I was, like I mentioned, one of those guys that was always trying to gain weight. So for me, it was, I don't know, eight, 10,000 calories. And you're not going to get that eating salads and couscous all day. <laughs> Even though that grain is so good that you named it twice, you can't get 10,000 calories of couscous without giving yourself a stomachache. So I was eating ice cream and pizza and pasta and just about a loaf of bread every day. Basically, anything I could possibly do that was anti-weight loss, I was trying to do it in order to maintain my weight. And still during the season, I would lose weight. My wife would get so jealous because we would eat like a, an entire lasagna. I would eat all of it. And then we'd go upstairs for bed and I would eat a tub of ice cream. And she's like, what is wrong with you? How are you losing weight? And then, of course, right before bed, I would still drink a protein shake to make sure I just top myself off. But 
Um, as much fun as that is for a few days or a few weeks or even a couple of years, after a while, it just becomes tiresome because the stress of every two hours needing to eat like a Thanksgiving dinner right. meal, <laughs> it, it like kind of wears on you really. Um, mentally, like I would get uh, physically nervous and stressed out and angry if I, if I didn't have like one of these 3000 calorie meals, cause I knew I was losing weight and I was going to be in trouble if I wasn't able to be, you know, at my weight that they expected me to play at. I love that when you retired, the Browns gave you a fishing pole because that's how it all started as well. When they drafted you, you were out there fishing with your, with your dad. Why did you decide to do it that way? Well, at the time, it was more kind of shunning the draft circus and being able to spend some more time with my family because I was well aware that from the moment you get drafted, you are shuffled away and whisked off to your new city and they put you in a fancy new suit. And then pretty soon uh, the next day you're in meetings and you're meeting with the media. And then the next weekend you're in mini camp and then it rolls right into the season and, and you really kind of lose uh, your free time and your life changes like that. And I knew it was going to be pretty much my last opportunity to spend with my family. So rather than uh, donning a fresh new suit, which wasn't really my style anyway, <laughs> and uh, cheesing for the cameras and, and hugging Roger Goodell, the guy that uh, during every CBA is trying to take money out of your pocket. I still can't figure out why they want to hug him, but um, I, I, I just didn't, I didn't like that whole idea of uh, everything that was going on around the draft. So I just told my agent, I said, I'm just not going to go. Like, why don't you just call me and tell me where I get drafted? Like, I'm not worried. I know I'm going to get drafted. Like watching it is not going to have any effect on the outcome, whether, whether I'm sitting there or not. And he said, well, okay, you don't have to go to New York, but I need to be able to get a hold of you. Like right. what happens if a team is offering a contract that, you know, if, if you take it, you'll, they'll make you the number one pick. Or a lot of times there's stuff that can happen on draft day that they need to be able to get a hold of you. And plus before a team drafts you, they want to know, A, are you still alive? Because right. actually somebody that was dead got drafted like 30 years ago. So they want to know, hey, are you alive? Have you been injured since the last time we talked to you? And have you been arrested? And those are the questions that they're going to ask you Jeez. and they need to be able to talk to you before they draft you. So you have to go somewhere that we can call you. So originally I was going to go hunting and my agent nixed that. So then he <laughs> said, all right, we can get you in a boat as long as you're in cell phone service. So I said, okay, I can figure that out. Right. I can find a place on the lake that's got cell phone service. So that's <laughs> kind of how it all happened. So then walk me through what was happening on your end when you got the call. So we were out in the boat. We were enjoying a nice morning of salmon fishing on beautiful Lake Michigan. And we were catching some fish. And actually, we had turned on the radio. I think we had like a serious satellite radio on, on the boat. So we were able to listen into the draft. And we made sure that I had at least one bar on my old flip phone at the time. And so we were listening to the draft. And it was Jamarcus Russell, Calvin Johnson. And after we heard Calvin Johnson get drafted, um, on the radio, that's when my phone rang and it was the Cleveland Browns. It was Phil Savage, Romeo Cornell. And at that point they said, Hey, how would you like to be a Cleveland Brown? And I said, Hey, that's great. That's awesome. And then they just keep you on the phone until the pick is announced. Um, I, I guess it's a formality or something. Love it. Uh, that's an amazing story. And you know, I think Joe, uh, there will be more unorthodox ways of handling the draft because you start to see guys doing this kind of thing. We saw it at the Hall of Fame this year. I wonder if that made you think about it. I know, you know, guys never like to talk about that until they're in, but let's be honest, you're going to be a Hall of Famer 
w- w- do you think you'll handle that weekend in the traditional way? Uh, I guess I'll worry about that when, it, when the time comes, but I don't see any reason not to handle that traditionally. I think what you're seeing a little bit now from these young players that are deciding not to go to the draft is just a little bit of a pushback because agents are realizing it and the players are realizing that the NFL really kind of takes advantage of the college kids that are being drafted. I mean, they're making millions of dollars broadcasting this draft on the backs of the actors that are showing up, which are the players being drafted. And for them, they are offering them exposure. (laughs) It's like, okay, uh, I get to be the villain or I get to be the hero. And in the case of Aaron Rodgers and Brady Quinn and other guys who dropped in the draft, like they're – uh, turmoil and personal emotional stress that's played out over national television is broadcast and, and uh, monetized by the NFL. And in return, you're not getting anything out of it. And so I think what you see is, and the NFL PA is actually one of the ones that is kind of promoting some of this is, Hey, there's a lot of value as a player to, to be drafted high and to have that reaction and to be somewhere. So why don't we allow the player to monetize that? and to to fully realize the value that he has created through his college career, which you don't get paid for also. (laughs) And so I think that's why you're seeing it. And and also they're saying, hey, I don't want to be in New York with a bunch of guys I don't know wearing an uncomfortable suit. I'd rather be with my family, celebrate with my family and friends, make money doing it, not get used and abused by the NFL in New York. I think it's a win-win for a player. Let's talk about your house now. Uh, Your wife was a college basketball player at Wisconsin. And so I wonder what percentage of your life now is still attached to sports? Well, it's huge because I'm doing a lot of stuff in the media and I'm doing my own podcast, the Tomahawk show with Andrew Hawkins and doing some NFL network work, some ESPN work. So um, I I kind of uh, am still immersed big time in the NFL side of things. I'm a big college football fan. I love Saturdays. Uh, I've purposely not done anything on Saturdays because I just love watching college football all day. And I'm a big Wisconsin fan because that's where I went. Uh, Once basketball season starts in the winter, I'll be a big Wisconsin basketball fan. I love the Cavs. I still follow the Bucks because I grew up in Milwaukee. So we're still really big into sports. Obviously, with four little ones, we don't have the time we used to. Um, But I think once the kids get a little bit older, my wife and I are really going to be even more immersed into the sports side of things, getting season tickets for different events, going to basketball games. Um, And I'd love it if my kids wanted to play sports. I think that would be fun, too, especially with mom being a college basketball player. Yeah, you're I mean, you're going to find I mean, Saturdays, the ages your kids are at, man, give it another like three or four years. You're going to have like 40 (laughs) soccer games on a Saturday. Well, we're going to try to avoid some of the soccer a little bit. We're not the <laughs> okay. biggest fan of sitting out there for uh, three hours on a Saturday, but I'm sure they'll play them. You know, you were such a leader with the Browns. I wonder, what about at home? How, how does your role with the Browns differ from the role you now play at home? I'm the backup punter at home, man. I get no respect. <laughs> I'm just happy to get told what to do and not get kicked out of the house. <laughs> like, particularly with the newborn, what's the role? Is it is it diaper changer, bottle feeder, just a cheerleader? I, what, what do you do as a guy? I get told to do a lot. I'm not very good at all the newborn stuff. I feel like I'm a much better dad of kids that are like one and above. Um, I don't have a lot of patience for the burping and the bottle feeding and the rocking and that type of stuff. I'm a good diaper changer. I'm, I'm really good at putting kids stuff t- together. Um, I, 
I, uh, I would say I'm, I'm about a D plus, uh, dad when it comes to like the new <laughs> stage, but after that, I feel like I improve each year. Okay. Quick break to tell you about our sponsor, green solar technologies, you know, summer's over, but you homeowners out there are still having to pay crazy electric bills. Have you thought about solar? I'm sure you've seen a lot of your neighbors and your friends going solar. Maybe it's time you checked it out and discover the incredible savings you'll enjoy when compared to the ever-increasing bills you pay your utility company. Green Solar Technologies has made going solar an easy, game-changing move. Call my guys at Green Solar today at 310-893-0099 to find out if solar makes sense for you. I bet it will. Call 310-893-0099. That's 310-893-0099. 0099. Also, GST is growing like crazy and is hiring new ambassadors where, with very little effort, you can make a ton of money. To check it out further, ask your solar advisor at the 310-893-0099 number or go to greensolartechnologies.com slash ambassador for additional info. Continuing with Joe Thomas on Ballers with Babies. Uh, if I may ask, Joe, you've been so upfront about the the early onset memory loss, and I, I wonder what kinds of conversations uh, that you have all had around the Thomas House about that. Yeah, we talk about it a little bit, and I think it's a difficult topic because any comments you make about it um, could be seen one way or the other maybe more than they should. And I, I've tried to be down the middle with it and say, look, I've experienced times where I have a hard time remembering things, whether it be things that I needed to do or uh, whether it be what I was supposed to get at the grocery store or just around the house. If, you know, my wife asked me to do something and I walk into the room and just forget about it. Right. But then you talk to other people that are in my situation that never played football and they have a lot of things going on in their life. And they say, you know what, I've got similar memory <laughs> things. And so it's difficult for me to say, yeah, that I forgot my keys because I played in the NFL or you know what? I got a lot of things on my mind. I got a million things going on and a million kids. And sometimes it's just hard to remember everything. Joe, I, I can completely relate. I've got three kids. You've got four. I, I, I mean, I never played a down of football in my life. And, uh, you know, I particularly, I meet someone and two seconds later, I'm like, darn it. What was their name? Like, I mean, so maybe <laughs> this might not be football. This might be parenting. Yeah, it may be the kids that are making me lose my mind. I think that's probably more likely. <laughs> yes, no doubt. You know, but every football player I talk to grapples with this, the wonderful life that football has given guys like you, but then the things that it can take uh, can be very real too. So how have you come to grips with that give and take? Well, it's always a little bit tough, I think, especially when you're kind of in the transition stage, um, going from being an active football player where your life is basically football first. I mean, the football dictates your schedule. There's no calling in sick to work or saying, hey, you know, my uh, my son's got a a soccer match, so I'm not coming to practice today. Like, you have to be honest with yourself. When you're an NFL football player, NFL football is coming first. As much as we wish our family was first, there are no ifs, ands, or buts when there's something NFL related on the schedule. And so for 11 years, it's easy to prioritize everything because it's like, okay, do I have something with the NFL? If I don't, then okay, now I can fill in uh, uh, family type stuff and then any hobbies after that. But now that you're out of the NFL, it's like, okay, now the roles have changed. Now 
my family is first with my kids and my wife and the things that they're doing. And then I've got to find something that's going to fill me up and fill my passions with uh, some fulfillment of, okay, what am I doing and where's my purpose in life? But it kind of has to fill in after the kids uh, come. So it can be a little bit challenging, but I'm trying this first year out of football just to do as much as I can, stay as busy as I can, do as much with my kids as I possibly can. And then hopefully at the end of this first year, I'll have maybe a little bit better direction on the type of things that I love to do and and what I'm good at and, and where the demand is. Joe, let's go back to the early years. I saw that you, you called yourself a wild child. And, and now that you're a dad and you understand what it's like, I wonder if, you're, if your parents were sitting here right now, what, what would you say to them about raising you? <laughs> I would probably say, uh, thanks for putting up with me. because <laughs> I had a lot of energy and I'm seeing it in my kids right now. And it's funny because my wife was a lot like I was when she was little and her parents are saying the same thing like, oh, you're getting it now because of what you did to us. So it's kind of funny. We've got the, the mix of a couple of wild ch- childs in all of our kids. And uh, that's, I guess, part of the reason I'm so exhausted at the end of the day. And I guess it's only going to get worse. Yeah. Can you guys, do you think you can see athletes early? I, I've had this conversation with a number of people. I used to do a radio show with Michael Thompson, who, you know, Clay Thompson's dad, his son uh, plays in the major leagues. And, and he was just like, I mean, he seemed to know, he thought right away these kids are going to have a chance to be uh, professional athletes. I, I t- had a podcast with one of the Gronkowski brothers recently. He described that household as total chaos. Um, and, and you know, I bet you could tell early on those were going to be football players. Can you see anything in your kids as of now? I truly think that a parents that think that their parent, their kids – are going to be professional athletes based on what they do when they're one, two, three years old is confirmation bias. They want their kids to be athletes. So all they notice is the athletic things that the kids do. And they seem to forget all the things that the kids do when they run into the wall and they fall down on their butts. And that's kind of what I feel about it. I mean, you know, you see your kid do something, you're like, Ooh, they're going to be a good athlete. Like, look, look, look what they did. But I'm not sure that uh, the kid down the street, that's got two parents that are short fat people that have no athleticism, probably think that their kid's going to be a good athlete too, because uh, you know, they were able to shoot a hoop when they were two years old. <laughs> right. But you're, I mean, your kids are going to have a lot of athletic ability. So I sort of feel like it, it comes down to whether or not they're going to want to. And then if they can sort of handle the, the mental and emotional side of getting to that level, which I think is under discussed. Uh, clearly with, one uh, dad as a pro football player and the mom as a college basketball player on scholarship, you would think that athletically they were gifted from a genetic standpoint. Um, But I guess it's all kind of still a gene lottery. I mean, my, I have a brother and a sister and neither one of them were college scholarship athletes and the same thing with my wife. So you never know what you're going to get from a DNA standpoint. And, And then of course, every kid's a little bit different too with their drive and their interests and, you may have one kid that's super athletic, but is much more interested in science or something that wants to be a doctor. And I think that's great. You know, for, for us as parents, we're going to push our kids to find something they love, whether that be sports or music or the arts or whatever it is, but find something you love and then try to get really, really good at it. And I think that's the key. I don't know. It's the key, but I've never been a dad before, but to me, it seems like that's the best way you can raise your kids. So being from Wisconsin and you go to Wisconsin, was that just always a simple snap? That was the way it was going to be? What, what was your recruiting process like? And 
what kinds of conversations did you have with family in making that decision? Early on in the recruiting process, I actually thought I was going to leave and, and go somewhere else. I was a kid that had not left the state much growing up. And I think uh, there was this romantic image of everywhere else in my mind that like, oh, wouldn't it be great to go X, Y, Z and go play football there? Uh, and then when I started visiting all those other schools and seeing their campuses and seeing everything uh, around their program, I realized how great Wisconsin was and how much I did love everything that they had to offer. And in the end, it came down to Notre Dame and Wisconsin. And I really didn't have a whole lot of family members pushing me one way or the other. I felt that they were they did a great job because they kind of let me discover what I wanted on my own without trying to bias my brain when I was making that decision. And in the end, I decided that Wisconsin was the right fit for me. And I was really happy with that decision that I made. And uh, I never looked back. I know uh, you met your wife there, obviously. Will you share the story of how you first approached her? Yeah, so uh, I lived right across the street from her in Madison. I lived right on the lake, actually, which was really cool. Uh, my sophomore summer, we were living in an apartment building that was right on the lake. We had a pier. We had a little boat. It was awesome. I mean, it was every college kid's dream. And she was living across the street in a little apartment with six basketball girls. And so we would like drive our scooters past each other every morning. And I always would notice, of course, she would never notice me. And then I would see her in the training room and I, I would notice her because she was an athlete. And, and, uh, but I never had the courage to say anything until I had a few uh, pops one night and, <laughs> and I finally got up the courage and she was actually with her boyfriend that night. And being that I was a bigger guy, I think that actually played into my advantage this time because I grabbed her by the arm and pulled her over and started talking to her and got her number right in front of her boyfriend. Oh, man. And uh, good thing I wasn't a little guy because I probably would have gotten knocked out that night. But it still took a few months after that to really make the connection and go out on the first date. And then I guess from there, the rest is history. When did you know she was the one? I don't know. That's a good question. I think early on, I felt like she is the one. And as I got to know her, it only just confirmed me thinking that she was the one. Um, and I never really questioned that. And I don't know, maybe that was just being young and romantic. But um, <laughs> I, I never like from the moment I met her and we started hanging out, there was never any one thing that I was like, well, I don't know if she's the one. And, um she just always had everything I thought I was looking for. Now, you referenced this earlier. You guys are, uh, especially you, but I, I would think, I mean, the whole group with a newborn and you coming out of football, this is really a time of, of transition. So other than just raising these, uh, these four young kids, uh, what's on the list of, of, of what the Thomas family wants to do coming up, want to do next? Well, that's a good question. I think we're just struggling to keep our head above water right now with the newborn, but... <laughs> Um, you know, we're, we're going to go to a few Browns games this fall. We're going to go to some Badger football games, which we're excited about. And just really trying to spend a lot of time as a family, as, as much as we can, uh, making up for lost time, being that I was in the NFL and, and gone on the weekends uh, for half the year. So, um, yeah, just trying to spend as much time as we can together. And, and for me, it's going to the kids' uh soccer and dance and uh, swimming lessons and doing things like that that a regular dad gets to do. How's the broadcasting thing feel to you? It's good. I enjoy it. It's something that 
keeps me close to the game. And I think that's kind of eased the transition for me into my post-career life. Um, it's allowed me to feel like I can wake up in the morning and have purpose. Like, okay, I have a job. You know, I, I am doing something that uh, more, more than just my kids are, are interested in. And uh, so I think it's been good. We'll see where it goes. All right, home stretch. Let's stick to sports with the great Joe Thomas, now out of the league, but not far out of the league. And so we got to go straight to the Browns and ask Joe, how about Baker Mayfield? What do you think? He's been spectacular. I think he's exceeded even the highest expectations for him to see a rookie go out there and play the way he has been playing and make the decisions that he's been making as quickly as he's made them is really remarkable. And I'm still waiting for him to have like a bad stretch. Like every rookie in NFL history has always had a bad stretch and he just has not shown that at all. And it's just remarkable and as now a Browns fan, I am so excited for the future of this franchise. These recent wins that they've had, are, are they emotional for you? They are, especially that first one on Thursday Night Football. I was lucky enough to be working for the NFL Network that night, so I was doing the pregame show and the halftime postgame show. And to see Hugh Jackson and see his face and to be on that sideline um, and to see those guys that I had battled with for a few years Finally get that payoff of a big win on national TV was really special. And to see Baker Mayfield up close, do what he did, and then come off the field after the game and act like he'd been there. That was so cool. Have you talked to him a, a lot? I mean, I would imagine you, you have. What, what have you shared with him? What, what have those conversations been like? We talk a little bit. I think during the season, he's got so many demands on his time, just being a quarterback. And then as a uh, hot young commodity in the media space, because everybody wants to talk about him and talk to him. I want to give him his space. You know, the last thing he needs is a washed up old tackle trying to bug him on his uh, cell phone. Uh, But I think for him just to keep doing what he's doing, I mean, he's, he's handling it so well, not only on the field, but he's been able to handle the success. Uh, so well and I think he doesn't need any advice from me or anybody else just keep doing what you're doing buddy you know when you saw those wins and and you were even there for that one specifically what was it all joy or or was there a piece of you that was uh you know not enjoying the fact that you weren't still out there in uniform no I'm enjoying every minute of it I, I couldn't be happier for the team I couldn't be happier for the organization the players the coaches this is something that They've worked for a long time, and uh, they deserve it. And and the fans almost as much as anybody because they've been the most loyal fans in the NFL. They've stuck through this team through horrors of NFL seasons. And to finally be able to sit there with their chin up is is great, and I'm so happy for them. Did you watch Hard Knocks, and, and what was that experience like for you? I did. It was awesome. I loved watching it. It was the first time watching those Hard Knocks where I felt like I missed the game because I had kind of been away from it and hadn't really watched too much, but seeing those guys in training camp, everything in training camp is not horrible. I mean, it, it does suck most of the time, but <laughs> there's a lot of fun moments. The, the camaraderie you get, the locker room laughs, the meeting room funnies that you have. Um, those are things that I missed when I got to watch it, but I thought it really played the Browns in a good light. I think it kind of made the Browns America's sweetheart a little bit. And I think they're a team that, uh, People have no reason to care about, but people across the country love 
when the Browns are succeeding right now because I think they fell in love with the story that they got to see during Hard Knocks. Joe, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I tell you what, like, you know, I, I host a national radio show and we talked during the summer more about the Browns than any other NFL team. And I, I think it was a lot of things. It was Baker. It was Hard Knocks. It was almost, I, I guess, in a way, they, they ended up monetizing losing because uh, everybody just, you know what I mean? They'd won one game and everybody yeah. wanted to know what was going to happen next. So in a strange way, those last couple of years, I think this year they've kind of turned into a good thing. Yeah, no doubt. I, I see them a little bit kind of like the Cubs, right? You know, forever yeah. the Cubs were the lovable losers, right? Because you have this fan base that's so loyal and passionate in spite of all this losing. You've got this coach that's been berated in the media and the fans have just killed him. But all the players on the team are saying he's a good coach. Give him time. Give him players. And you just have such a good story in, in the city of Cleveland, a city that's kind of been kicked around a lot, uh, but is making this great resurgence. And um, I think it's it's an easy story to love. And, and then, you, of course, you add a guy like Baker Mayfield, who's so interesting and charismatic and plays so well <clears throat> as a rookie. Um, it's just a perfect recipe for an exciting team to be able to pull for in addition to whatever team you love. The division is all jumbled up. I mean, is it possible that they make the playoffs? Well, there's no doubt they've got a great chance. I, I think they will make the playoffs. Uh, the way I look at the division, the way the teams have been playing, I, I think the Browns are going to win more games than they lose down the stretch, and that'll be enough to make the playoffs. And so um, – I think it's going to be an exciting season down the stretch. I mean, when's the last time we said it's exciting to be a Browns yeah. fan in December? <laughs> um, you're an offensive player, but you're also a tough trenches guy. So I, I wonder, what do you think about the new NFL rules that are definitely trending toward offense? I think it's good to promote offense. And I think they have been for a lot of years. I know they have been. You just look at the rules. I think, I know it's good to protect the quarterbacks. That's the reason most people tune in that aren't fans of any one team. So I, I think it's good what they're doing to try to protect the quarterbacks. But in any situation, when you throw so much ammo at something, it's inevitable that the pendulum is going to swing too far in one direction. And I think that's what we've seen specifically with the roughing the passer rules right now. I think what they've in, enacted from a rule standpoint is uh, too stringent. It's too difficult for officials to see in real time when a penalty should be called. And I think it's changing the game for the worse. And I fully expect that if it hasn't already started to be talked about, it will be changed in the off season because right now this whole like landing on a quarterback when you tackle him rule is just about the most absurd thing that the football has ever seen. Yeah. Joe, uh, a real thrill to talk to you. Congrats on baby number four. Best of luck with uh, everything that your future career holds. Thank you so much for spending some time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, now that you finished another episode of Ballers with Babies, and I thank you for that, I want to invite you to search for and listen to the History of Stand-Up podcast with host Wayne Fetterman. You know Wayne. He was in Curb Your Enthusiasm and Step Brothers. Look, I watch Comedy Central all the time. You ever look at the booming stand-up comedy industry and ask, when did this start? How did this become what it is? The history of stand-up tells the story. From vaudeville to Netflix, each episode features special guests like Judd Apatow and Julie Seabaugh. It's really interesting. It's a bunch of comics, so it's really funny as well. Check out the History of Stand-Up podcast on CastBox now. 